Our brother Wayne Anlicker from the Forest, Illinois congregation will talk to us about the foundation as we continue to build the foundation of faith in Jesus Christ, the foundation that we have received as our forefathers have labored to help provide a faith that's helping us. And Jesus wondered, will he find faith when he returns? Brother Wayne, our prayers are with you. Greetings to you, beloved in the Lord. Our topic for the next few moments is, who are we? And obviously that could be looked at in a number of different ways. Very thankful for our brothers, as we have been reminded this morning on the Agenda Committee, that have given prayerful thought and taken the input from you, brethren, as to this topic and all of them. I would just like to read a little bit the purpose of our topic as it was given to me by those dear brothers. It's to review the faithfulness of God in preserving a living faith and doctrine through special revelations and reformations that have occurred over centuries of time by a better understanding of our heritage, we can grow in appreciation and faithfulness. We can seek to avoid errors of past believers, and we can more accurately position a shield against the influence of unsound doctrine. As a biblical basis of the next few moments, I'd like to refer to Ephesians Chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, where we read, Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, maybe a bit of a disclaimer, this is not a history lesson. I'm not qualified for that, and time doesn't permit. But let's look at a few of the defining doctrines that Christ taught, the apostles taught us, we have it in the New Testament, and those that followed the apostles in the early church, directly taught by the apostles, those doctrines, a few of those defining doctrines that we still have today, it's been preserved by the faithfulness of God through history since Christ. And of course there are a number of them. But it came to me as I thought and prayed about this, Let's just look at three of them this morning. We're going to have to move very fast because we're covering a lot of time, a lot of information. This won't be detailed. Hopefully and prayerfully, it will prompt and stimulate our thinking that we can go home and meditate and think about these things, think about our heritage, think about the faithfulness of God and who we are today. We hope it'll be conversations around the family table, around the potluck tables. These are things that can edify us. We think about it and talk about it. Purpose here is to stimulate our thinking. First 
defining doctrine I'd like to just talk about a little bit is spiritual rebirth. Brother Steve already laid a foundation of that. Let's build just a little bit on that. Christ, remember the discourse with Nicodemus there? It's one of those things that cannot be compromised. He told Nicodemus, like Brother Steve just mentioned, this accept our righteousness, exceed the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees. Another exception principle. Jesus told Nicodemus, except he be born again out of water and spirit, won't see or enter the kingdom of heaven. It's something that's unmovable, uncompromisable. It's a basic doctrine, the spiritual rebirth. It's made possible by Christ's teaching, suffering, death, shed blood, and resurrection. Without that, there would be no possibility of a spiritual rebirth. Why is spiritual rebirth such a basic doctrine so important? Well, birth determines nature. That's a principle, a rule of creation established by the Creator Himself. Every species brings forth after their own kind. Birth determines nature. Our first birth, for every one of us without exception, over the whole face of the earth, our first birth produced the nature of Adam, a sinful nature. There is no way to change nature. Works, reformation, dedication, none of that will change our nature. Can change a few temporary habits, doesn't change our nature. The only way we can acquire a new nature is by birth. Hence the rebirth. What does a rebirth give us? Rebirth in Christ produces in, in us the nature of Christ. Now nature determines or produces our thoughts, desires, actions in every aspect of our life. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, if any man will come after me, let him. has to be a willful choice. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's crucified, risen with Christ, following Christ. That's the rebirth. Then we become citizens of the kingdom of God. And now we are strangers in this world and pilgrims. A stranger is one that's away from home. A pilgrim is one that's on his way home. Doesn't that describe the believer, the reborn believer? So first of all, a defining doctrine of Christ, the apostles, and the early church was the necessity of a true rebirth, becoming a new creature in Christ Jesus created unto good works. Now since we said nature, or birth determines nature, and nature determines our behavior, what would be the nature of Christ? That's the second defining doctrine of Christ, the apostles, the early church. 
the nature of Christ we find in Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. We find it in 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on charity. Charity really is the nature of Christ that man can acquire in the rebirth. We had the nature of Adam by our first birth, now the nature of Christ. What greater example of love? Greater love hath no man this, than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God is love. Christ is love. The early church demonstrated a fervent charity, a fervent love. Few of the ways that was manifested. They returned good for evil. They were heavily persecuted. They returned good for evil. That's the nature of Christ. That's the fervent love of the early church. They did not bear arms. They did not go to war because they loved their fellow man. They did violence to no man. They enjoyed a very precious and unique spiritual fellowship that was based upon love, the nature of Christ. It was remarked by an unbeliever in the early, observing the early church. He said, see how they love one another. An unbeliever observing the early believers. See how they love one another. A defining doctrine of the Christian faith. As nature produces behavior, let's look at a third one briefly. Separation from the world. Not conformed to the world. Christ, the apostles, the early church taught this strongly and consistently. It's manifested some ways that we can relate to today in America. In the Greek and the Roman cultures of that time, there were many similarities to what we're facing in society in America today. Think about it a little bit. They had their, the Romans had their sacred games. The Greeks had their Olympics. The Christians were persecuted because they would not take part in that. They had the theater wherein there was an exaltation of vanity. In those, in the games and in the theater, in the dramas of the time, the love of violence and immorality, the adoration of man was exhibited very strongly. You know what the early church said about that? They said, how can we look on the things that we wouldn't do? Now let's apply that today. These doctrines, these three, spiritual rebirth, fervent love, separation from the world, were taught by Christ and the apostles, the early church. They were practiced for about 200 years after the close of the apostolic age, or total of about 300 years after the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. During that time, Satan tried severely 
Now comes the enemy of all this that's good. He tried through intense persecution to destroy that love, those people, to bring them back into the world. It didn't work. It only drew them closer. So he changed his tactics. And around 300 years after Christ, he moved a Roman ruler, Constantine, and a little bit later, Theodosius, and they promoted Christianity as the religion of the state. Now let's just think about this a little bit. Christianity now became mixed with the other religions that were around. You became a citizen of the state. You became a member of the church at birth. It became the primary religion, quote-unquote. And you were baptized as a baby. That's how you became a member of the church and of the state. Of course, we can easily understand. The rebirth now was, was crumbled. Consequently, true love began to wane. Because without rebirth, there is no new nature. So even though people were members of the church, they weren't new creatures. Their nature wasn't changed. Consequently, their behavior didn't change. The church, quote, let's put that in quotes, not the, the true church, not the remnant that we'll see God has preserved even to this present day and here among us. The church became absorbed into the world. Now, there was a true church and there was a world church or a nominal church. Satan really won a masterstroke there. History has really revealed that. We're still dealing with it today. As that happened, the, the light of truth was dimmed by the religion and the commandments of men we entered into a corridor of the Dark Ages. The Word of God was locked up in the Latin language. It was unavailable to the common person. Through all of this, we can trace in every century, if you want to take the time, a good resource would be, and there are others, but Martyr's Mirror. That'll give you a snapshot of the believers in every century, the remnant, that through the faithfulness of God, in spite of this, the truth being obscured by the nominal church, the power of religion and the false church, God in his faithfulness moved throughout the centuries and kept the remnant. As the word then, moving real quickly, began to be translated, oh, maybe around 1300s, there were, as God moved, a few individuals that he blessed with material wealth, and they had the means 
and they had the conviction, and they were moved by the Holy Spirit at great peril to their own life to begin to translate the Word of God into the language of the people. And there's power in the Word of God. As that began again to come forth, as light then again began to, to grow brighter at the end of the tunnel of the Dark Ages, there was an initial breaking away from the Roman Church in the Reformation that we all know. While that was a major step, it really wasn't a return to the teaching of Christ, his apostles, and the early church. In reality, these reformers persecuted the true believers to the death and formed much of the theology of today's Christianity, Luther, Calvin, Zwingli, and so forth. A few years later, there was a more complete return to the truth. That occurred in what we may know or call as the Radical Reformation, the Reformers' Stepchildren, the Anabaptist Movement, a number of names. The faithfulness and mercy of God was evident in some of this movement. We'd just like to refer to the Schleidheim Confession, February 24th, 1527, in Switzerland. A number of the Swiss brethren at their conference set forth a few principles in their confession of faith. They were persecuted. They didn't have a complete statement of faith, beginning with Christ, the deity of Christ, the atoning blood, and that. They believed that, of course. Really, the the nominal church believed that, so they didn't set that in place. That was a given. What they put down, worthy of our note, are those things where they went beyond what the, the church of that day believed. And let's take note, because we still have the church, the nominal church, the true church. And only God really knows who belongs where. But let's just think a little bit as we read through these. What did they believe and set forth? And see if we relate to this, brothers and sisters. They believed in the baptism of faith, a baptism as a result of what Brother Steve just talked of, the call of God, a true repentance, a conversion, a dying to the old man. The old nature must die so that God in the rebirth creates a new nature. That's sealed by holy baptism, a baptism of faith. They believed that. They believed in loving discipline of the church, including the man. They set that forth. They believed that. It's loving discipline. Think about the depth of that. They believed in closed communion, breaking of bread. They believed and set forth in their confession separation from the abominations of the world connected right back to Christ, the apostles, the early church fathers, doesn't it? They also believed in God-ordained church leadership, that there should be a continuing pastors in the church, shepherds, under the chief shepherd. Doesn't it warm our heart? They believed in not bearing arms, 
that set them really apart from the rest of the Christian world at that time. They believed because the Bible says it very clear that we should not swear an oath. And they set that forth. Now a number of these believers remain even in this present day and for that we give God the glory and the thanks. However, unfortunately, in the course of time, some of these history reveals return to the world and again become lost in the world. Others became focused on themselves and their works. And because of that, rebirth and the fervent love that rebirth produces became lost in form rather than in substance. Separation from the world became the means rather than the end. And about 300 years later, God again moved in his love and mercy. He moved in a man that we know as Samuel Freilich. We know I don't have to rehearse his history and his experience. And we know that he experienced a true rebirth, a conversion, a spiritual regeneration, however you want to term it. He made that experience and he began to preach with conviction the necessity of a spiritual rebirth that will produce a new nature. And that nature will produce behavior consistent with the Word of God and consistent with the nature of our Lord and Master Jesus Christ. The power of the doctrine of Christ, the apostles, and the early church was again experienced. Fervent love was rekindled. Read through Freilich's diaries and you can't miss it. He was a man that had deep love. And he was a man that preached deep love. And it was experienced in our forebears of faith at that time. The substance of the teaching in but not of the world was again reestablished. Now, my beloved brethren, this is our heritage. We believe and teach, practice the new birth, fervent charity, separation from the world's vanity and sin. Who are we? We're children of the Heavenly Father by rebirth and adoption. I don't think any of us can comprehend the treasure, the pearl that we have in that simple term. We're children of the Heavenly Father. History also tells us whenever a church removed these landmarks that we've been talking about, they lost their way. History would also tell us that about this time in the course of a visible church, we're in danger of, on the one hand, becoming friends with the world and becoming a nominal church. On the other hand, becoming focused on ourselves and quenching the spirit. Let's remember the church 
is an organism with organization. It's a living organism. It's the body of Christ. Sure, there's order and there's organization. Let's don't get those turned around. It's first an organism. We must be careful then in our rightful appreciation of the culture of our church. We don't worship the creation more than the creator. Again, as Brother Ed opened, as Brother Bill has reminded us, we have been given much. Therefore, much is going to be required of us. We have been given a faith and a precious fellowship, as was referred to already. We come together here in Bluffton. We do this every year. We do it numbers of times through the years as we travel. We have it in our, all of our local churches. The love, the fellowship of the reborn children of the Heavenly Father. Because of that, we have a common faith. We have a common practice. We practice the holy kiss. We just have so many time doesn't permit. A few years ago, Brother Andy Stoller asked us at a conference to send in the things that we consider blessings, special, unique as aspects of our church. He got quite a response. It was published in a silver lining. Let's think about it. Let's review those things. Let's count our blessings, but let's remember. We have been given much. God requires much of us. A simple, separated, sanctified life is such a blessing in the world that we live. We just have an enormous responsibility and opportunity to, in the words that Luke wrote, about Jesus, to do and to teach in that order, to do and to teach the true gospel that God has preserved through the ages and given to us today. And as we sit here, this is ours, our present possession. The souls of our children and our fellow man, as well as ours, are at stake, my beloved. We have a lot of work to do in the vineyard of the Lord. He can do it without us, but he's called us to do it. Let's be up and busy. May the Lord add much to the few thoughts. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Wayne, for a very simple but complete review of the growth of the foundation of what we're building upon. The topic Brother Wayne talked on is who are we? I couldn't help but think as he talked, my grandmother often would tell us as shortly after we're converted, if we travel somewhere, remember who you are. It took me years to gain a full understanding of what she meant. I'm not sure I completely understand it today. Some of these reminders of the sacrifices that were made for us, the struggles that went on through the centuries to try to preserve a true faith. Again, Jesus' question, will I find faith when I return? Sometimes we might think, well, of course. Why should it fade away? 
And yet we only need to look back in history as we were reminded this morning to see how the adversary of our soul can take us different directions and make us lose our focus. We can get off the path one way or the other. We need to keep looking back and building, being careful how we build upon this foundation of faith. Brother Wayne reminded us of the really key doctrines that we need to keep going back to and thinking about. They've been fundamental as the church is built. And when it's some other doctrine that it builds upon, we start to suffer loss, even as it says in Corinthians. The spiritual rebirth. And again, this just ties Brother Steve's exhortation to what Brother Wayne shared with us. We must be born again. And being born again requires those steps that Brother Steve talked about, the true repentance, the confession, the restitution, all of these things. Because it's part of the dying off of the old life that we can be reborn as a new birth and have a new nature and truly have the nature of Christ, a nature of true love, a willingness to sacrifice. The nature of Christ, where, and it wasn't easy, as we know in the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he is willing to go and bear the cross and let the cross separate him from the world. When he said, and I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. As we reach out to a lost world, as Brother Ed talked about how many will die without a hope of salvation, even in the time we're together today, how do we reach them? Christ drew us to him by being separated from the world, by dying, giving his life on our behalf. The Bible just exhorts us to be willing to crucify the world to ourselves and ourselves to the world. That's the true cross of Christ. That's what's going to bring the blessing for our lives. That separation then. We truly are separated from the world. We do have to live in the world. We're in the world. And Christ recognized that in his high priestly prayer. But in so many ways, the Bible tells us not to be a part of the world, even though we live in it. And that comes through in our life and through our example, our interests, our priorities, and how we set them. Again, it gets back to that basic foundation we're trying to build upon. Our priorities always need to be going back to faith in God, appreciation for what Jesus Christ did for us, and then everything we do is for that purpose never to bring glory or honor to ourselves. Then we need to remember, as Brother Wayne talked about, the two churches, the true church and the nominal church. It's not for us to try to define who's in the true church. To remember, brothers of old used to make the statement so true, we aren't the only church, but we have the only way. And that's the way that Brother Wayne was talking about, the foundation that we've heard about this morning, the only way. It's easy for us sometimes to start looking at maybe other denominations and trying to make a judgment. The Bible is very clear, gives us clear direction in that regard as we read in 2 Corinthians. They comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's not for us to say whether or not some other denomination is true or not. When we start looking at them, we've taken our eyes off of our Savior. We keep our eyes upon Jesus, and he'll lead us in the right ways. And the thing that becomes important to us is to make sure that we are part of that true church. 
And again, as Brother Wayne says, it's not the organization, it's the organism, the grow, a growing body that's functioning and working well together. And we want to make sure each one of us individually are part of that true body, that true church.